It's a sermon in two parts. The first part, I want to hurt your feelings. And the second part, I want to hold your hands and be friends. Deal? <coughs> part the first. God is dead. And we killed him. God is dead. And we killed him. That's the hurt your feelings part. It's going to go on a while longer. Don't get comfortable yet. Uh, there's, you know, you guys are too young, but in the 60s, there was like a whole theological movement and then some like conflict between liberals and conservatives uh, around this particular phrase and a, like a theology behind it. God is dead theology. Famous Methodist. Well, he became famous. A Methodist guy famously uttered that uh, that means nothing to you, um, uh, but God is dead, and we killed him. Um, still probably has the ring of at least a little bit of discomfort. Anybody? Discomfort? A little bit? Yeah, there's a vigorous wave. Uh, I agree. Yes, for me also. Um, here's... Our crucifixion text for this morning, it's um, small, it's two verses. It's in Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Etc. Etc. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. It's a euphemism for alternative description for Jesus died. Um, he sure did. It's right there. It's in Matthew 27. It's at the end of the gospel. Uh, the whole gospel really has been leading up to that. Uh, and last semester and so far this, as we um, take a look at the cross, um, the crucial central element of our faith, um, the symbol uh, that really is a prism that we that we understand um, God and ourselves and uh, each other and the world through. We understand um, what in the world is going on, what our problem is, and how we get out of it, and what God is doing. Um, as we uh, examine uh, the cross in this series, uh, we've we've taken a look at um, a lot of different angles and a lot of different uh, uh, a lot of different functions of the cross and um, ways of interpreting the cross and some practical and some uh, more theoretical, theological. Um, this morning, I, I want us to, um, to look again at, uh, at the cross as um, not like a, a golden necklace thing, but um, the cross as an instrument of torture and death, um, which it, it was. That's like literally what it was. That may be lost on us. Um, but here um, in this scene, we have um, darkness covering the whole land, and we have Jesus uh, betrayed by a best friend, abandoned by his by his other friends, um, dying alone um, as a criminal on a cross, an instrument of torture and death, uh, and we hear Jesus in this moment um, of darkness, uttering, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" He cries out again, agony, anguish, pain, and despair. And he yields up his spirit, um, and in that moment, uh, God is dead. Okay, the uh, 
the hurt your feelings part continues with this. Um, a long time ago, uh, the theologian John Calvin, you may have heard of him, um, he said in the middle of this trillion-word work called the Institutes, uh, he said, the human heart, the heart, the mind, the noose, the lave, uh, the animating spirit of the human, um, you know what it is? Anybody know what he said it is? The human heart is a perpetual idol factory, I-D-O-L, idol factory. It's a perpetual factory. It churns out idols. It's what we do. It's what, it's what drives us. It's what uh, animates uh, our dealings with each other and our um, strivings after God and our making our way in the world. Um, we are perpetual idol factories, our hearts are, which results in our hands being the wheels and cogs of this perpetual idol machine. <coughs> I think this is related to the fact um, that we worship um, a God who is dead. Um, we're, we're looking for um, some way to get our hands on, to wrap our minds around um, something a, l a little more solid, a little more firm, uh, a little more alive uh, than, than a murdered messiah. And so um, we're, we're, we're pushing and we're looking and we're adding up and we're calculating and we're interpreting the scriptures and we're arguing with each other, with each other and we're huddling up and arguing against the world and we're um, trying to ignore any bad stuff and just be happy and sing happy songs. Thank you, John and crew. Um, uh, but, but we are, uh, we're, we're striving and we're, we're reaching and we're grasping and we, we basically, if we're going to survive, um, we have to come up with something better than um, there's our God and he's dead. And so... Um, the idols that we cook up, I mean, has anyone thought about idols like outside the context of you read the Old Testament and you're just picturing like a little wood carving or a little metal guy? Have, have you thought about idolatry and um, uh, perhaps maybe um, if idolatry is still um, a thing that, that we need to reckon with um, because, you know, we don't carve little statues of wood and we don't do whatever. Um, idolatry, however, um, is us uh, in our search for God in our pursuit um, of a life lived after God, um, it's our relying on and actually moving toward anything else that isn't God. That's, that, that's what it is. Um, things that will promise us safety, security, things that will promise us happiness, fulfillment. Uh, so just as in the Old Testament, if you're thinking idols there, um, these were things that were um, worshipped, were sacrificed to, um, that people... Uh, uh, revolved, their, their lives revolved um, around these things, um, their pursuits of these things, uh, in order that they'll receive the, the promised reward. And so they'll go to great lengths, sacrifice themselves, uh, blood, children, uh, the, the day in, day out labor of uh, their own hands, they'll give their very lives um, to these things that, that are promising safety, security, happiness, fulfillment. Um, can anybody in here um, think of anything in your own life uh, the lives of your family, your friends, your um, broader than immediate context. You can think of something. Career and then retirement. That's that's the whole ball game, right? Like what else is there? You're here preparing for a career so that you'll have enough money to live and be secure. And then once you get, maybe you're out of your 20s by now, but you start to think about um, the tail end of that. And uh, absolutely, retirement is, um, that's like, that's security. Right? That's, that's safety, and you need to know um, that you have some firm ground um, to stand on. Right? Good things, by the way. Working in the world, we have vocations, and that's the happy thing for later. Okay? This is like the let's, let's be at odds for a second. Um, anybody else think of anything um, in your own life around? Yes. Marriage slash relationship status, 
get unengaged now. Sorry, Leah. Hey, I have been married for 20 years. I was actually thinking about this. Uh, this is a, a particular one that came up because you guys are all 19, 20, 21. And um, I used to be 19, 20, 21, and that was 20, 19, 20, 21 years ago. And uh, I've been married for 20 years. And I, I was just, I was reflecting like on that time. And it occurred to me, um, Tab and I, when we first got married, we were very happy and in love and she's amazing. And we were like fell in love in high school and we got married here, whatever, lived in this tiny house over by the CCF house. And it was like happy days. Those were happy times. We made like $200 a week combined so we could pay our $225 a month rent for our or East Orchard house. It was for sale for $13,000, the house we lived in. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You have cars that are double that. It was $13,000. Okay. Um, we were very happy and it was great. And I was, I was reflecting on exactly this, um, anticipating Polly G in particular, bringing um, this up. And uh, I just, I was, I was pacing in my kitchen and I, I just started like laughing uncontrollably because I was like, um, for a long time, I have loved Tab and I have um, uh, pursued a life together with Tab. And now we have children and all manner of things. Uh, but I, I, I just remembered um, a time, five years, ten years, I was pretty dumb, pretty slow. I remembered a time like where I thought I'd, I knew her, who I knew who she was. The, the promise of the, the marriage and the relationship, fulfillment, all of that, uh, which is very strong and very alive and well in like different ways, especially in our culture and even in the church culture. Um, and there was a time where I was like, uh, you know, I was doing good things to um, pursue a life together with her, and marriage is Christ in the church, and it's great, and it's awesome. Um, and also, on the, the Taylor ends now of 20 years of being married, of having um, lots of really scary revelations about myself, like realizing, for instance, that I have no idea who I am, so how in the world do I think that I know who another person is, that I actually know them? And like, scarier versions of that neutral one, like, oh, well, I know a little bit about who I am, and it's way worse than I thought. And how has that been impacting, like, our relationship in this marriage and what we're doing um, for 15 years now? And I just, it was, it was chucklier when it was happening to me in my kitchen than it is right here. But it was, um, it was, it was chuckly. I was like, oh, I was, I was, I was, uh, as an infant, I was like six months old in my, in my thinking. Like, that was my level of understanding. And now I'm just like blown away in awe of the mystery that is I have no idea of course who you are because I have no idea of course who I am and where all of our thoughts and strivings and affections all of that comes from and it is a mystery um to be humbly bowed before and not something that's like oh I'm gonna read this book and check off the 27 ways to do and you're gonna do this and you'll dang right you'll have the good marriage and whatever no you won't <laughs> no you won't <laughs> no you won't <laughs> You'll get divorced. It'll be worse than divorce. You'll have um, kids, and then you're like, oh, now I actually know just literally nothing. I know not one thing ever about anything. I know nothing. I apologize to everyone, especially you, Mom and Dad. I know nothing. Uh, uh, <clears throat> there is um, the allure. There is the promise that in um, a marriage relationship with another person, which is a, a good and right thing, we, we can actually provisionally smallly know each other and pursue and um, commit to discipline things over a long time that lead to good and flourishing in ourselves and in the world, absolutely. Because there's that grain of truth there, it gets twisted in this perpetual idol factory that is our hearts and minds and our clingings and strivings 
um, that gets twisted and distorted and, and looms way too large and shadows everything and can so easily become an idol um, that, that, we, that we run after, that we ignore all kinds of other stuff um, to, to our detriment uh, because of. Absolutely. Marriage, relationships, etc. A thing with great power um, that we can go after. There's a good and right way to do it, and then there, there is quickly um, the idolatrous path uh, where, where it requires too much and promises too much that it can't actually fulfill, and we give too much to that, to the exclusion of um, God himself, to the exclusion of the rest of our vocation in the world. Um, absolutely. What else? America. Did you know we spend approximately seven quadrillion dollars every second for like maintaining our military? Okay. Yes. What else? Those are precise figures. Yes. School, academics plays into the career thing. Uh, it's a good and right part of your life that, of course, you should be um, pouring your time and energy to and trying to enjoy and trying to be disciplined about just doing the hard work when it's not enjoyable. All of that, absolutely. Um, your brain is a gift, and to learn and understand things is a gift and is amazing, and to learn how to put that into practice um, is incredible and is a life's work. Uh, and yet, you know, you're familiar with um, the shadow side. You're familiar with um, when that starts to churn in that perpetual idol factory that is your own heart, uh, and you can you can feel the the golemish difference, right, in the in the pursuit of it. You're like, ah, oh, this doesn't seem quite right, but I don't know what else there is. And then you can you know like uh, hunker all the way down and uh, kill yourself doing it, or you can throw your hands up in the air and do nothing. The equally bad routes. Um, to to have find um the right approach to to your studies. Um, absolutely, uh, is is a, a good and right thing to pursue. That so quickly, so easily, on on the weekly, um, uh, is, is is tainted, and is absolutely a and becomes um an idolatrous pursuit. The fear that it inspires you here's here's a great marker of um the the promise and the reward um that that is the allure of the idol. Um, the flip side of that, the dark underbelly, um, it's it's the fear. I'm not going to be secure. I'll never have enough saved for retirement. My kids are going to be screwed up because I don't know anything about what I'm doing. I'll never find a spouse or whatever. Uh, in my studies, what if I don't get this and I only get a 3.5 apparently you have to have to keep scholarships now? That's insane. It was 3.25 for me and I lost it as soon as I could. <laughs> so for school, for academics, you you know that like that fear, right? That is um, not, not just will this go badly, uh, but do I now go badly, or am I worthless as a person, as Noah, Mr. Resident Worthless? He dropped out of school. It's pertinent. Uh, absolutely. That, that's an idolatrous um, power um, at work. It's a thing for us to cling and clutch and, and strive toward um, in order um, to fill this hole that is essentially um, we, we plopped into this world knowing nothing and we're trying to get our bearings and we really don't know what's going on uh, and uh, he here's a thing, a concrete thing, a diploma is like really skinny wood, you know, you put it on your wall, it features prominently, employers bow down to it, they give you lots of money for it. Um, all, all of these things are absolutely, um, can be idolatrized, okay, they're not intrinsically idolatrous in themselves, they're not idols in themselves, it's our relationship to them um, that makes them idolatrous. The bad news is 
we are perpetual idol factories going after these things. Um, in large part, e- even we, the church, Christian people, you and me, we are in part um, because God is dead. If we had a different God, I, I, th- I think it would be easier. If, if we had um, a, a God who made those same sorts of promises and that we could like grab and set on the mantle and know what we're doing with and try to revolve our lives around, uh, because um, our God is dead, then we are um, prone to these kinds of um, idolatrous uh, strivings and pursuits. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit and God was dead. (coughs) Okay, the last bit of bad news and it's extra bad news. It is this. Um, So not only are all of these things and way more that you know in your own hearts and your own minds and your own lives and the lives of people that you love that, that you see we haven't even talked about uh, addictions like literal inescapable cycles of idolatrous clawings um not only do we uh, turn those things into idolatrous problems um destroy our own selves and the people around us in the way that we pursue them um god himself uh is and 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 becomes easily an idol for us We have a problem with idolatry, um, and our problem is is God. Think about it this way. There's this whole um, strain of uh, theology called negative theology or apophatic theology. And their point is, I, th- I think you'll agree with me. Wait one second. Their point is, you've never seen God, right? Even like charismatic, like you've never seen God. You agree to this. This is like Christian doctrine. You don't know the actual God. You, you don't know God, God's self. Like, here, here's God. Um, he's, he's not sitting there drinking coffee with you. Um, God is not present with you in that way. You don't know God. God is always above and beyond um, our, our the smartest person and the most experienced Christian and whatever. Um, God is always bigger and beyond what that person's idea of God is. So we can know God truly, absolutely, Absolutely provisionally. Take out the strike through. Absolutely. We can know God truly. It's always small. It's always provisional. It's always limited. It's always subject to revision. We are tiny biological creatures with weird brains who like learn language and then start attaching it to stuff and people tell us things and we start to question it and whatever. We don't know what's going on. It's a freaking miraculous mystery that we can know God at all, which we can. We can. But we don't have the full picture of God. You, you probably have lived long enough to, to get a feel for this yourself. Like, ah, oh, 10 years ago, it just seemed so obvious to me that here was this true fact about what God is like or what God wants from me in the world or how things should go if I'm living my life for God. And then some things happened, and I learned some stuff, and then I met other people, and then I had a class, and then I started thinking, and then I actually read the Bible instead of just hearing what everybody says the Bible says. And now, huh, that thing that seemed so obvious that I was so sure about, that was so integral to what my faith in God was about, um, this picture that I had of who God is, is now changed. 
And, and for some of you, um, for a while, that's really disturbing and that's really hard and you need the help of other people and you need to like go through that dark night of the soul. Uh, but look, that's not a problem wi with the system. That's, that's inherent in it. That's intrinsic to uh, because we worship a God who is above and beyond everything that we don't actually see, that we can't get a handle on. Uh, be because that is God, of course, of course you're wrong about 99% of the stuff that you think. Not just about God, about everything. Some people thought the Chiefs were going to lose last week. We we're wrong all the time. So, so look, and, and you, can, you can see this, you can watch this. It's throughout Christian history. It's, it's alive and well now. We get a, a static thing and we, and we call it God and we say we know that God works exactly this way and we start adding up enough texts and we start pointing out enough examples and we say we know God is exactly like this. We know that God rewards the righteous and punishes the dead. We know that God will do that. We know that your family will be great if you pray together and whatever. And, and we, we have this picture of who God is, um, which is, is good and necessary. And of course we, we have to have a provisional understanding of God that we're um, pursuing and learning and growing in. Uh, but look, if we hold that, we set that off in a, a no-oxygen glass case so that nothing can ever touch it and nothing can ever mess it up, um, that becomes a problem. We've turned God into just another idol, um, just another um, figment of our limited understanding um, that we will live and die for and that we will sacrifice for and that we have to shut off question for and that we have to know that everybody else is wrong about in exactly this ways. This ways, this way, these ways, when in fact um, there is a way of, of knowing God and pursuing God um, that requires um, absolute humility on our part. It's the only way. Do, I'm not making this up. Do you want to know how I know this? We're doing a series on the crucifixion. Here is the symbol of our faith. The symbol of our faith were like a bull that was like strong and we know that it's progress and we know you just feed it, it's going to happen. Okay, fine. If the symbol of our faith were the Bible, they're like, here, look, just memorize all these pages and be smarter than everybody else about knowing exactly what to do with it. That's the primary symbol. That's the thing that our lives revolve around. Like, here is God. Some people's faith is kind of like that. Some people's faith is kind of like that. Here's my contention. It's not my contention. The, the central symbol of our faith is the cross, an instrument of torture and death. Sad news. Darkness unknowing to the to the max that's comfort for us um if we find ourselves um living in the world searching for god uh, always just a little uncertain um that that's a comfort to us that the symbol itself the thing itself um that is the way that we get to god um has in itself those properties it is uncertain it's meant to be disorienting. The story of what happened on the cross was that God came to earth. Splurted out here a little, a little baby. Didn't know anything. It was just like us. Didn't know anything. Learning stuff. Walking around. Confused. Weird. What's going on? By the end, um, that God, God himself is, is hanging on the cross. Um, and, and God is, again, confused and disoriented. That there's darkness um, everywhere. Um, that God himself is suffering. In that symbol, what we ought to have 
um, as an A-bomb to all of our little idols that we've got stacked up everywhere. That's the, that's the God that we worship? Of course it's not strength and might over here, and of course it's not safety and security in exactly this way, and of course it's not having the perfect plan and doing our classes exactly right and this spouse and whatever. Of course um, those things find their place um, in a good world that God has made as we struggle back toward piecing it together and finding our way back toward God um, with absolute humility. Um, but, but of course, um, the, the idolatrous nature of those things, when we pursue them in that way, um, of, of course that's wrong. That's out of bounds. Here, here's our central symbol. It's a, it's a cross. Um, the cross tells us, among other things, um, that there is nothing else that's needed for us to get to God. It's God sacrificing himself. There's no other magic thing. There's not get your life together in enough right ways, and there's not get your career and forecast the investments and all the exact Bitcoin ways and all of that. There's no, there's no magic bullet. There's no one thing. The, the cross itself in some of the tractate versions of our telling um, becomes like an idolatrous lie, I think. Um, the, the cross is not a, a bridge that's scanning some chasm to get us to God. Um, the, the, the cross um, is the chasm. The story is that God is in the chasm. And, and that's, that's good news. B- because watch, you're, you're smart enough. I- if, you, if you stop, um, if you think, if you, if you ask your heart honestly, you see the cracks in all the other things. You know that a freaking relationship is not going to ultimately satisfy you. You know that the stock market goes like this and it's only 80 years old anyway. And what are we even talking about? You know that your like your school is your teachers are fake. The whole thing is fake. It's just you have online textbooks. Of course it's not real. You so look you're, you're smart enough and you know. And so the problem with idolatrously going after those things is that we're trying to double life it. We're trying to ignore the the stuff that we actually know is going on enough so that we can like keep pouring in and keep being fearful enough that we keep feeding in. And it doesn't that doesn't work. The cross says the cross is an A-bomb. It, it, it frees us from that. It says none of that's going to work. This is what the cross does. It disarms those powers and principalities. It frees us from the illusion that there is anything else that's going to work. It frees us from the delusions that we willingly sacrifice ourselves to all the time. That's the message of the cross. Um, in that chasm, in that abyss, it is freedom. And then watch, like what we do with the cross is we're baptized into it. We don't earn our way toward a degree to be in Jesus' army. You just freak, you just die, you just fall down. That's what it is, like good, good news. Now you're in, now you got it. You didn't do anything! There's, it, it doesn't work and, and you know it. And that's why those things, they, they fail. And, and that's why even God himself as idol, when you try to calcify God into exactly this way that I know that God has to work, th- that's why that doesn't work either. There's this perpetual principle of the A-bombing of, of the idol factory um, that is our hearts. Jesus himself was subject to it. You, you watch the disciples throughout, all the go- throughout the Gospels. Um, th- this is the process that they're going through. Continual unlearning. Jesus never gives them anything satisfying that they can nail down. He's like, Ooh, I'm going ahead of you. Tell my friends I'll be over there. And then he's gone. He's freaking gone. <laughs> we, have a, we have a dead God who becomes an absent God 
And, and look, that's the only real hope there is because everything that we can see, everything that we can know well enough, of course isn't big enough to like be what we need. We transitioned into the good news there. I don't know if you caught it. And now we're just going to abruptly stop and go into part two and a half, which was supposed to be part two. It's this. We're doing a media fast this next week. <laughs> you think that's unrelated? Think of Okay. I take it back. You need to use your brains more. We're doing a media fast this week. Um, all manner of reasons why we do media fasting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one, one thing that can happen there um, is that uh, we can create the space um, to be able um, to be shown again the illusions, the delusions, the idolatries um, that, that we have succumbed to, that our lives really are um, circling around and working for. A and um, in a time of fasting, uh, we can create the space um, to come face-to-face -face with, with ourselves, to come face-to-face -face with our picture of God and to see where God actually transcends, like our little calcified pictures of God, um, to, to hear uh, the maybe frustratingly, not clearly, but to hear God's voice, um, to get a hint, to hear an echo of uh, a thing we're supposed to go after, a thing that we really should drop, uh, w ways of living uh, better, just more, more truly, more fully um, as ourselves with each other in pursuit of the one real God. Um, it, it takes these kinds of times um, to just free up enough mental space to, to shut off all the other um, noises and distractions and good stuff. Music is great and podcasts are great and Netflix is sometimes fine. Uh, but we're doing a media fast and I, um, I challenge you. I'm inviting you. I'm challenging you. Please participate. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't get anything out of it. Um, I'm, I'm looking at you and I love you and I'm begging you. Um, this, is, this is not a magic bullet, as you know, right? There's no, there's no magic cure. Uh, however, if we are to be people um, on the prowl for, for the one real God and listening um, for that God's voice and being um, people uh, living in, in the light of the cross, um, then, then we, have to, we have to free up this room to hear. Um, Jesus himself did something very much like this. I'm going to read you a little passage from the beginning of Matthew. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's what you can expect in your fasting. Temptation. The voice of the accuser. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, I'm asking for seven. We're doing seven. He was hungry. You won't even be hungry. You'll just be craving Netflix. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. This is a series of pictures of uh, idolatries that Jesus is being um, tempted toward. Show us your miracles. Show us your magic. <coughs> but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Safety, security which is a crazy one for us. It's crazy. You can't make yourself safe. There is, there is no security. Lock your doors, do whatever. You're not, you can't really make it happen. Relax. Jesus says, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, him all these I will give you 
if you will fall down and worship me. That seems a little bit out there. Um, all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, been in any political debates? Anybody, your friends, your families? How are you so stupid? How can you not see this? Clearly this is better. This policy, that tax thing, this whatever. <coughs> Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. If we were to follow up the tempter to Jesus, we would say, right, and where is he? We don't see him. We don't hear him. Um, Jesus points us here um, to the, the always, the impossibility of nailing God down. Uh, it's, it's a perpetual um, pursuit. It's always uh, questionable. It's always uncertain. Um, Jesus himself is, is here in the desert. He's being tempted. He doesn't know, like, what, what is the way to go? How is the way that, that God's kingdom um, is going to come to the earth? What's the way that God's going to get God's way on earth? Um, and here, these are real temptations. Um, they're ones very like the ones that we face um, toward security, toward quick solutions, um, uh, toward uh, enough money and uh, smart plans. Um, Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, that invisible, out there God in your little, limited, provisional ways. It's the, it's the only way you can do it. In absolute humility, and only him shall you serve. That, that limited provisionality, by the way, it, it doesn't make us uh, non-committed. It doesn't make us waffly. It actually allows us to be totally committed. There's nothing else that you can be totally committed to. You can't give yourself fully to any political thing or any religious system or any thing or any career. You, you see the cracks. You know the flaws. God, God's self is the only thing that you can fully throw yourself to. That's why it's good and right and safe and non-destructive to do that. So we're media fasting. So join us. Um, here's what you got on one side. Uh, it's uh, thanks, Reed. Um, tomorrow through next weekend, <coughs> we've got um. So on the back side, I'm going to give you um, a couple of minutes because I, I want you right now. This is actually important to us as a community. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes um, to think on your own life. Um, this is a voluntary thing, of course, that I'm asking you to think about. Uh, but is there, is there some media um, that you could, should fast from? Is there anything good that might happen from um, you cutting out podcasts next week and seeing what other voices you hear and facing your own demons and uh, seeing the ways in which you have crammed God into some idle box? And um, is there... Any chance that popping your headphones out while you're walking around campus all day and just not listening to music for the week, like we're terrified of what we're going to hear otherwise. You know that, right? <coughs> so I'm going to ask you um, to think about for yourself um, what would be good. No whatever, Netflix, no this. Um, and then to, to write it down, um, on, the other, on the front side, the one side, um, there are positive, substantive things um, in place of this negation. So all week, uh, mostly at the CCF house, uh, we have morning prayer, of course, but this would be a great week um, to come by for a morning prayer, 30 minutes any weekday. Um, we'll do evening prayer, Tuesday and Thursday night, 9 p.m. Brooke will figure out the worship thing on Thursday. Tuesday, I'm going to take people to the prayer labyrinth. Any who's been to the prayer labyrinth? 
Ooh, okay. Um, it'll be a little chilly, so dress warm. It'll be done within an hour. Uh, but it's uh, it's up by my cemetery, up by the hospital. Um, I'll just we'll have a, a quiet, prayerful uh, little walk. It's freaking awesome. You should come. Um, those days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, in the sub, uh, we do the scripture readings. So on Wednesdays, we're going through Philippians. Um, Philippians is really short, so each of those days we'll read the whole book just out loud together, whoever shows up, a couple staff people, whichever students come by. Um, we usually do it at the CCF house, but I thought, why not entice you with food, you little idolaters? So um, we'll be in the sub. Um, you, can eat, you can get lunch or just get a snack if you already had lunch. CCF will pay for it, and then we'll just whoever's there will gather um, we'll just read through Philippians aloud um, there in some quiet corner of the sub, okay? Um, each of the, It'll just be the same thing each day, so you can come once every day. It's free lunch three days in a row if you want. Hot tea, warm reads. Um, somebody will make you a London fog and um, read you something. It'll be an hour, 4.30 on Tuesday, CCF House, usually reader I do it. Leah may have. Leah, did you ever do it? There you go. Ooh, that's right. Cold tea, chili reads. Um, and then next Sunday, right after service, uh, just right out here afterwards, um, it'll be a chance just to, to break the fast together. So um, we may um, have like small groups to check in on, you know, the prompts, like how to go. Did you die from no music? Did you whatever? Uh, and uh, we'll just have some pizza, some a quick lunch out here after service. But um, feel free to just stick around right after service next week. Um, it'll just be out there. So those are times for us to um, to do substantial positive things um, for the fast as a as a community together. Um, here's what it is right now. I'm going to give you four minutes and fifty nine seconds because that is how long this Radiohead song is that we're going to initiate our media fast with. Does anyone need a pen? Did you bring a pen? If you get at least two, one will work. Um. <coughs> Once this segment is done, then it will be just quiet letdown time. And uh, you guys good up there, Will? Watch your face. Is your face okay? Okay. No, no, good. Otto, I see you. Flower power. Okay, if you need one, there's a few more in the aisle. Is it going to work? Oh, my goodness. Now you have four minutes and 54 seconds. <laughs> 